Hey everyone, I too want to welcome you to this online service of the Hershey Free Church. My name is George Davis. Thanks for being a part of the service today. I know some of you are new and I would love the opportunity to meet with you. If you're watching on Sunday morning, right after the service, I'm hosting a live Zoom chat. So feel free just to jump in on that. Or if you just want to connect or ask questions about the sermon, you can do that as well. You'll find the Zoom link in the chat section as well as the notes section. Well, this week we're starting a new series entitled Resilient Joy. It's a study in Philippians. And to introduce you to this series, let me tell you about something that happened in my life a couple of years ago. Several years ago, I ran the Army 10-Miler in uh, Washington, D.C. It was a great experience. Over 30,000 people participated in this race. Also a great way to uh, raise money for military families in need. So clearly I finished the race, but I've got to tell you, if I'm honest with you, that I died in mile eight. Well, I didn't literally die, but I, I ran out of gas. I, I got to the start of mile eight, and there was this slight incline up a hill, and it's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm just out of energy. I feel dead, and all the excitement has been drained. I, I ended up walking about 200 yards up the hill. When I finally got to the top of the hill, I, I regained my composure and had a little burst of energy, and, and I was able to finish the race. But in telling you that story, I want to ask you if you know those kinds of experiences. Do you know those experiences in life where you really start out strong with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and then at some point it just feels like it's all drained away? You hit mile eight, and, and you start to stall out. Maybe that's, maybe that's how you feel right now as we're going through this coronavirus situation. Maybe you're a, a student in middle school or high school or college, and you started out this last academic year and you are so excited about things you were going to be doing or the extracurricular things you're involved in. And then, then the spring hits and everything's online and all the events are canceled. And you just, you, you just lost it. You lost the energy, the enthusiasm for all that you were doing. Maybe your parents and you've got young kids at home. And, and a few weeks ago, as, as school went online, you, were, you had energy to kind of transfer school to home and you had charts and plans. And, and over time, you just... All of that just fizzled out and you just want to be done. Maybe you started a a new job sometime over the last year. And as you were thinking about this job, you thought, you know, this is a great fit for me. This is really going to use my skills and abilities. And there was so much enthusiasm. But then you got into this job and it it wasn't what you expected. And and you reached a point where you, you you know, you, you dreaded getting up every day. And so there's this lull, there's this point where you just stall out, even though you started out with so much energy and enthusiasm. Do you, do you know those situations in life? If you do, I think, I think you can relate to the situation of this early church in Philippi, this ancient Greek city. Because you see, this, this early group of Christ followers, their, their church got off to such an amazing transformational start. And yet, over time, they, they hit a lull. They hit mile eight. They hit a season where things just got more complicated. To show you what I mean, uh, let me give you a little bit of the background of this, of this uh, church. We read about the founding of the church in Philippi in, in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we, we can trace the journeys of Paul, this early Christian leader. And on his second journey, he's traveling in Asia Minor, which we now know as Turkey. And he has this vision, this vision that he needs to come to Macedonia. So he, he, 
He gets onto a boat with his colleagues and they go to Greece, to that part of Greece known as Macedonia. And he ends up in a, in a town called Philippi. At the time, this is probably a town, a community of about five to 10,000 people. When they arrive, they go to the outskirts of the community and they find a place where people gather to pray. And there they share the message of Jesus and this woman, Lydia, who's, who's from Asia Minor. She's a dealer in cloth. She becomes a follower of Christ. As they continue teaching, ministering in the area, they come across this young girl who's a slave who's involved in fortune telling, but she's demon possessed. And so they cast out this demon and she becomes a follower of Christ. And then because of what they've done, they're thrown in prison, but in a miraculous way, God intervenes and there's this earthquake and the prison opens up. And through the course of those events, uh, a, a Philippian jailer, a Roman jailer, becomes a follower of Jesus. And so this is, this is how this church gets started. I mean, it's an amazing series of events, an amazing story of, of God's power, right? I mean, there's, there's the vision, there's the exorcism, there's the earthquake. So moment after moment, God is intervening in amazing ways. And as he does this, you see different people coming to faith in Christ. That's what the gospel does, right? It crosses barriers. It brings different kinds of people together. So here's a woman from Asia Minor. Here's a guy who is Roman, who's a jailer. He's a young girl, most likely, who is Greek. And and this is the amazing start of this church. And, And at least in the opening season of this church, it feels like it's going to be one transformational victory after another. But fast forward a few years, maybe, maybe roughly a decade, and now things have really gotten complicated for the church. Here are ways in which things have gotten harder, complicated for this young group of followers of Jesus Christ. First of all, their, their mentor, Paul, is now in prison. Now, remember when Paul was thrown in prison in Philippi, right? There's this miraculous intervention that the earthquakes and the jail cells are opened and ultimately Paul is able to be released. But now 10 years later, Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome. There's no earthquake. There's no dramatic moment. He's stuck. In fact, it's quite possible that he could die in prison. And this church is deeply concerned about their mentor. In fact, they're so concerned that they send a representative, a messenger to bring supplies to Paul. His name is Epaphroditus. And now, only to make matters worse, as as he travels to meet Paul, he becomes ill and he almost dies. Now, in addition to these kinds of factors, there's the reality that over time, as these people have been following Jesus, they're, they're now experiencing external opposition. The reality was this. Philippi was a place where it could be hard to be a follower of Jesus. You need to understand that that Philippi was a Roman colony, even though it was in the region of Greece. This meant that Philippi had some very unique, special legal privileges. But it also meant that Philippi was a place that would include a focus on the worship of the emperor. In fact, archaeological evidence suggests that uh, there, there might have been at least two temples in the city of Philippi, specifically dedicated to the worship of the emperor and his family. But think about this. If you were a follower of Jesus in Philippi, you you were committed to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Caesar isn't. But if that's the way you lived your life, 
That meant in a variety of ways, you would, you would be out of step with the people around you. You wouldn't fit easily into your neighborhood. At times, you could, you could experience ostracism. You could experience opposition, even persecution. And there's evidence in, in the letter that, that now some of the people that are in this church are going through those kinds of experiences. Not surprisingly, then, with all of these factors at work, it also becomes clear that the church is now dealing with internal conflict. And, and I think it's quite possible that due to these other, other realities, these other forms of pressure, in the midst of all of that pressure, relationships are beginning to fracture and people are becoming divided. So it's in the context of this situation that Paul now writes this letter to the Philippian church from a jail cell, most likely in Rome. And remember, so he's writing this group of people that things started out so strong, but now they've hit mile eight. They, they started out so well, but now they're mounting complications. Now it's easy for the momentum, the energy, the passion to wane. And so Paul writes to, to encourage these people. And I think as he does, central to his message is this. Central to the message of the book of Philippians is a call to resilient joy. The theme of joy and rejoicing are, are evident throughout this book. It's almost like Paul looks at this church and says, look, I know things have gotten more complicated for you and they've gotten more complicated for me. But I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to become discouraged. I don't want you to become disinterested. Instead, I want you to become people who are resilient, who are sturdy, people who have endurance. I want you to become people of deep joy, of resilient joy. And that's the message of this book. Now, there are different ways to think about this concept of joy, but here's really what, here's what I think Paul is getting at when he talks about joy. When Paul talks about joy, he's talking about a deep confidence and contentment in God. First of all, for him, joy is, is confidence in God. I mean, at the beginning of the letters, we'll see next week, Paul prays for these people. And as he prays, he says, you know, every time I pray for you, I do so with joy. And he does so with joy because he's got confidence that God is at work in their community. But not only is, is joy a confidence in God, it's also a contentment in God. Later in the book, Paul acknowledges that, you know, his work is for their benefit, and he's, he's aware of the fact that his work is leading to their growth. And he says, in this I rejoice. And I think in saying that, what Paul is saying is, I've, I've got this deep awareness that, that my work is part of something bigger, this deep awareness that, that God has equipped me and is now using me in your life. And so with that comes a sense of contentment. His, his life has a deeper sense of meaning, purpose, a deeper sense of joy. My guess is some of, maybe some of you know that, that sense as well because in, in your workplace and the things you do, the way you, you serve you know, in our church or in the community, you've got this deep sense that you're, you're doing something God has wired you to do, that you're part of a bigger story. And, and with that comes, comes contentment. So Paul, is, he's writing this, this young church saying, look, I know things got off to a great start. Now things are more complicated. But in the midst of this, I want you to be people who are developing resilient joy, deep joy. Now, you know, at this point, maybe we'd push back and we'd say, okay, Paul, um, I'm just not that kind of person. 
You know, I'm not, I'm not a particularly joyful person. Or maybe you would say, wait a minute, I thought, I thought joy was supposed to be the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and I think that that's true. And for Paul, I think as he talks about joy, here, here's one thing that he understands. He understands that joy is both a gift and a responsibility. I mean, in Galatians, Paul says that, you know, joy is ultimately the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's, I mean, it's, it's God's work. It's not something that we manufacture. And yet Paul's expectation is that it's not just a gift, it's also a responsibility in that we are to live our lives, we are to orient our lives in such a way that that God's spirit can can be at work. And that's why he commands us to be joyful, to rejoice. So it's it's both a gift and a a responsibility. In some ways, I think this is what he's getting at as as we'll get to Philippians chapter 2 when he says this. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. Now notice that there's both the sense of gift and the sense of responsibility. You're to work out your salvation. And and I think in terms of joy, you're to open your life up to the work of the Spirit so that he can produce that transformational, resilient joy in your life. And so what what Paul is doing in this letter, his goal in this letter is to help us and help these early readers orient our lives in such a way that we can become people who live in resilient joy. To some degree, he, he, he actually tells the Philippians that this is what he's doing. In chapter one, he's talking about his future. And he says, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. Notice this for your progress and joy in the faith. In other words, Paul is saying, look, I want want to help you grow up in your faith. I want to help you make progress in your faith. And as you do that, you're going to grow in your joy. As you grow in your faith, you're going to grow in the joy that comes with that. So that's, that's what Paul is doing in this letter. He is ultimately seeking to equip and encourage the Philippians, and us to experience uh, confidence and contentment in God so that we grow in our joy, so that we become people who are characterized by this resilient joy. Now, in order to do that, he's got to challenge these people in several areas. And and we're going to see that as, as we go through the book. There are several areas where Paul challenges the people of Philippi, this early church, and in challenging them, he's also challenging us. So let me just briefly kind of highlight some of the things that we are going to see in this book. Here are ways in which Paul is going to challenge the Philippians to orient their lives in such a way that they develop this resilient joy. First of all, he's going to challenge them to think clearly. Remember, these are people that the church it got off to a great start, all these wins in the opening season of the church, and yet now things have become more complicated, more difficult. They're now in a season where it's easy to lose heart, easy to lose momentum, easy to lose energy. And in a situation, in a situation like that, our minds can go in all sorts of unhealthy directions. It would be natural for them to become discouraged, motivated, disinterested, distracted, And so it's not surprising as you read this book, you're going to see a number of places where Paul talks about the importance of thinking well, of thinking clearly. So for instance, in chapter one, he'll say, I'm praying that your love will grow in a way that produces knowledge and insight. 
In chapter 2, he will say, you need to have the mindset that Jesus had. In chapter 4, he will say, whatever is true and noble and right, think on these things. So in different ways, Paul is going to challenge us, particularly in the midst of hard situations, to think clearly, to think in a way that is shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only does he challenge us to to think clearly, he also challenges us and, and, and the original readers to relate sacrificially. Another theme that is evident in this book is is the theme of unity, of relationships, of of togetherness. We're going to see a key command comes in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul says you, you need to live a life worthy of the gospel. And as he talks about this, he says you need to do this together, right? You need to strive together in doing this. You can't do this alone. Likewise, in chapter 2, in in a very significant section, Paul talks about the work of Christ and developing the mind of Christ. And as he moves in this direction, he says, if you're going to be this kind of person, you've got to learn to put the needs of others before your own. In other words, you've you've got to learn to be for one another. You have to you recognize that relationships can come with a cost, and at times you've got to be willing to pay that cost of time, of energy, of willingness to serve one another, willingness to do life together, willingness to work through conflict and disagreement together. Even as he talks about relationships, in chapter 4, uh, he's going to make reference to a disagreement in the church. And it's apparent that a a couple of leaders have have now had some kind of disagreement and perhaps that disagreement is is fostering divisiveness within the church. Once again, I think it's, it's, it's possible that, you know, because the church is experiencing all of this pressure, it's possible that under the weight of this pressure, relationships are now starting to splinter. Relationships are now starting to fracture. I think even in our situation right now, what we're going through, you, you may experience uh, that as well. I mean, as this pandemic has gone longer, um, you may be noticing that it feels like more and more people have disagreements concerning how should we respond, what should public policy look like, when can things get back to normal. And you may even realize in your friend group, in your small group, that people have differing opinions. And if, if we're not careful under the pressure of what we are experiencing, our relationships can begin to splinter and, and fracture. But Paul tells the church, you can't let this happen. You need to relate to one another sacrificially. You need to be for one another. Because if we're going to be people of resilient joy, we've we've got to do this together. We don't do it in isolation. One other thing that that Paul does in challenging this church and in really challenging us is this. It's, It's the challenge to live boldly. Once again, this church is under external pressure. Pressure to fit in into a Roman context and a Roman value system. We're going to see that as we go through the letter. And with that pressure comes the pressure to to adapt and to, you know, fit in in unhealthy ways. And and I think for this church, for over time, it it would become easy to say, well, let's let's just stay quiet. Let's just protect ourselves. Let's just protect our own. But another thing we'll see in this book is the the fact that Paul says, no, you you shouldn't do that. Paul says you need to live boldly as people who are part of God's mission. 
Once again, in chapter one, we'll see as, as, as Paul is telling these people to live, you know, live a life worthy of the gospel and to strive together. He also says you need to do this without being frightened by your environment. You need to live boldly. Likewise, in chapter two, he's going to tell them you need to hold firmly to the truth of the gospel so that, so that you shine like stars in the sky, right? You need to live boldly. So as, as we go through this book, um, you know, Paul was saying, look, I want to help shape you in such a way that you develop this resilient joy. But for that to be the case, I'm going to challenge you to think clearly. I'm going to challenge you to relate sacrificially. I'm going to challenge you to live boldly. But maybe a natural question is this, so why should I take him seriously? Why do, why do, we, why do we need to pay attention to what this guy was saying you know, thousands of years ago? And in some sense, I think Paul actually answers that question because here's what he says in chapter 3. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a, notice this, it is a safeguard for you. You ask Paul, okay, Paul, why why should I take seriously your challenge to, to become people who who have resilient joy. And he says, you need to take it seriously for this reason. As you develop this joy, it will become a safeguard in your life. It will protect you. It will provide a a resilience in your life that guards you against getting stuck in in negative patterns of thinking and negative patterns of relationships and negative patterns of working. Interestingly, earlier this week, I was talking with uh, you know, several people on our staff, and I said, let's just talk for a moment about what can happen in these lull seasons. You know, when you hit mile eight and you start off strong, but now things are got, getting more complicated, what are some of the results that we can experience in those complicated life situations? And here, here were some of the things we talked about. We talked about the fact that, you know, we can become apathetic. We can become bitter. We can become frustrated. We can become fearful. We can become stuck in a deep sense of loss. We can lose our dreams. We can lose our motivation. Furthermore, over time, as these factors affect us, it also affects our relationships and how we engage friends and family, coworkers. It affects our energy. It affects our productivity. And ultimately, it affects our influence and it affects our witness. So if we're not careful in these harder times, in these difficult times, even like what we're going through now, we can get stuck in all sorts of negative patterns of thinking and behaving. And Paul says, I want you to be protected from that. And and what you need to develop is resilient joy. Paul says, I don't want you to get stuck in those places. I want you to develop a joy that can safeguard your life. So now as we start this journey through Philippians, I think here's what Paul would say to us. I think he would, I think he would look at us and say, you know, I realize you're, you're now several months into this pandemic. And I realize it's not what you expected. I realize life has gotten complicated and in some ways more difficult. I realize it feels like you're, you're up on that hill of mile eight and you're just out of gas. I think Paul would also say, but I don't want you to get stuck in the negative dimensions of all that you're going through. Even though you're facing these challenges, I want you to see that this can actually be a season in your life where you develop confidence and contentment in God. 
I want you to see this can actually be a season in your life where you develop and experience resilient joy. Let's pray together. So gracious God, as we start this new series, we're going to come to this letter. and It's a letter written from prison. It's a letter written in a context where there have been so many challenges and unexpected hardships, and yet it's, it's a letter that invites us to be people who develop and are shaped by a resilient joy. Father, I pray that as we start this series, even as we now go into this new week, that, that we would just take that on as both an encouragement and as, as a challenge. I pray that we would, would understand that even in the midst of all we're going through, you want us to continue to grow in our confidence and contentment in you in such a way that we develop this kind of resilience. And I thank you for the work of your spirit, even now that's working in our lives and, and working in the, the life of our church that desires to move us in this direction. And so with the confidence that you are at work, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.